You just good to be here. How are you guys doing? Do okay with the extra hour? Yeah. <laughs> I was kind of surprised how we get this extra hour and we still show up the you know right on the dot when we you know had a whole extra hour to get here and we still have people running in at the last minute. Oh, right. That's our life. Hey, how many of you guys would consider yourself uh, list makers? Any list makers? Oh, look at that. Wow. Okay, let me add to this. Not just those who write down the lists, right? How many of you guys have lists, maybe even right now, going on in your head? Anybody, <laughs> right? And you know, I mean, the list of things that you got to do when you get home. You might have the list of things that you got to do tomorrow, the next day, right? We make these lists for ourselves. And sometimes does it drive you crazy? Yeah, it does, right? Why? Why do we do it then? Why do we make these lists? Well, probably at some point in your life, like, you know, like me, like the rest of us, you, you kind of looked over that pile of laundry, you go, you know what? That laundry is not going to do itself. I've left it there, and it's not doing a thing to get rid of itself. You look out, and you see your lawn, and you know, that grass is going to keep growing until I cut it. Nobody's coming over. I've let it go for three weeks now. Nobody's come over and cut it for me, right? So at some point, we said, you know, for my life to go better, I'm going to have to take responsibility and get some things done. And those became our list. We put it down on our list. We check it off, right? Agreed? It's kind of how it developed. And so we started making these lists for ourselves. But tell me this. Isn't it also true? It doesn't even matter if lists are kind of like our instructions to ourselves. Remember, do this. Is it any better for you to tell yourself to do something than for someone else to tell you to do that? No, you still look at the list, you go, oh, who came up with this, right? It's still kind of a nuisance. We look at those to-do lists and we're like, oh, now I got to do this. Because we have, we find that we have two ways that we approach. We kind of look at a list and we can see it as a bother, but we have two real responses that we take towards these things that we know. It doesn't matter how important, how, how much priority we give it, even if we put it down on a list ourselves, we still have these two responses. One is we hear the instruction and we just blow it off, right? Have you ever done that? Right now, my lawn is getting way too long, <laughs> right? If any of you guys want to stop them. No, um, <clears throat> I'll get it. I'll get it. I'm waiting for all the leaves to fall. Then you get them all, right? Okay, but we either blow it off or else we listen and we do something about it. If we really believe that that thing is for our best interest, if that's going to make our life better, we usually will give time to it. We'll give priority to it. Today in James 1, through 25, James is telling us that it goes the same way with God's instructions to us. We talked last week about God's instructions for us, but this week we're going to see, you know, we still have two responses. Same two responses we find with our list, any list that anybody else gives us, any instructions we receive. We can either hear and blow it off, we can hear and we can do something with it, right? Let's stand together. We're going to hear from James 1, 22 through 25. Why do we stand together? Because this isn't something we sit down and just take in and hear and don't do anything with it. We want to do what James is saying. We want to get ready to do something with what God is telling us, right? James 1, 22 through 25. Prove yourselves doers of that word. That word that you hear from God. Not merely hearers to deceive themselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, that person is like one who merely glances at their face in the mirror. They see it, walk away, and then immediately forget what they saw. 
but one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effective doer, that one will be blessed in all that they do. That one will be blessed. It ends up that listening, hearing what God has to say, that's not enough, right? I would guess that most of us in here, myself included, have a lot that we have heard from God, right? Whether it comes from his word, whether it comes from his, his spirit as he prompts us you know, to act and, and do certain things, most of us have heard a lot from God. We might have even taken those things we heard and we wrote them down somewhere, right? On our to-do list. I gotta do this. I gotta start applying this. But then I would also guess that many of us have things that we've heard from God that we haven't done anything with, right? I know I have. We all do that. We hear and we don't do. It ends up that hearing is not, is not the, the big deal. It's not the main thing. In fact, James is asking us a question. He says, what's the difference between hearing and not doing and never hearing at all? Not much. Today, because of that, I've taken the, the title, really comes from what I think is James, his most important encouragement in this passage to us. He says, you know what? Hear and then do. Pretty simple, right? But also... It's the biggest challenge we got. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you that you give us your word. You give us insight. Your word, it says, you've said your word comes with the power. You back it with the Holy Spirit. You give us everything we need for not just knowing what that right path is that we should take, but also the power and the the strength to, to take it. But Father, we have to make that, that choice. We have to make that decision to, to go, to go with you, to enter into that word in faith, to make it our home, to make it where we live, to let go of everything else so that we could walk that path with you. That we, like Abraham, later you say, Abraham, <laughs> he did what you said. He did what he heard. Because of that, he was called a friend of God. Pray that we would be those friends that you have on this earth. That we would be those that you, you can count on to not only prioritize what you say, not see it as a nuisance, see it as a joy. See it as a freedom to be able to walk with God and to be about your business. Father, work those things in our heart today. Just pray that this wouldn't be another burden of guilt for us. It wouldn't be just another thing that we're not doing well, but that this would instead be seen as a door, a doorway into a freedom, into a a life that we can live with you, of walking with you as your friends. So Holy Spirit, come in and speak to us, transform our hearts, change us, lead us into that place and through that door. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen, have a seat. You know, when I, I moved out of my parents' home for the first time, one of the biggest challenges I found was doing the laundry. I don't know if you, any of you guys found that, but I found doing the laundry was one of the biggest, and it wasn't the big challenge because I didn't know how. I had learned how to do laundry. That wasn't the problem. My problem was, was that when I looked over at that laundry, it kind of like called out to me, right? I knew something had to be done with this laundry. 
And I knew the, the longer I put it off, the worse it was gonna get and the louder that voice was gonna get. You gotta do something about it. But I also knew when I looked at that pile, I knew what it was gonna take to get the laundry done. I knew that I didn't have a washer and dryer in my, this apartment I was living in. I had to gather it up, had to throw it in the car, had to drive about 20, 25 minutes to the nearest laundromat. I had to then find these, gather up these quarters. And I wasn't like one of those super planned out people. You know, some of you guys are. You have the jar of quarters. You're like, I have counted out for your laundry excursion. I didn't. I was like, oh, dang. I get to laundromat. It's like, oh, shoot, quarters. That's right. Got to, you know, and I have to figure out where these quarters are come from. And then you have to spend, you spend a good chunk of your day. It's either the morning or it's the afternoon. And you usually put it out long enough so it's not just one load. It's usually like three or four loads. You got to sort your clothes. You got to wash them. You got to dry them. You got to fold them again. You got to drive back home. You got to put your stuff away. So I knew this was going to be a big deal as you look at that laundry, that pile of laundry. So it was tough. It was tough to look over there. Sometimes I'd look over there and it's almost like this thought goes through your head. You go, you know, maybe if I just burn them and buy all new clothes, right? That's an option, isn't it? And then you're like, oh, no, I don't have any money. That's right. So <clears throat> I heard what the pile of clothes was saying. I, I knew what my list was saying to me that was going on in my head. But there were times that I, had, I still had that decision I had to make. Do I, do I listen and act on those words? Do I just blow it off and hope it goes away, right? Hope that suddenly I walk in here and, and Jesus has come back and I don't have to do my laundry, right? James is telling us, he just got done telling us how important it is to listen to God, right? We talked about that last week. Talk, quit talking so much to God. Let yourself be slow to speak, but quick to listen. And so James has told us, he says, it's important to listen to God and what he has to tell us because God gives us his word so that our lives might be better. God gives us his word so that we might see what he always intended us for and that that door might be open. But then James says, but don't just stop at listening. Do something with it. Prove yourselves to be doers of the word and not just hearers. And he says, who deceive themselves. And you go, why did he throw that on deceive themselves. What's he talking about? That word is a really interesting word. And I want to kind of bring you guys into it. I'm going to teach you guys a little bit of Greek today. We ready? You guys are going, oh, great. Greek. Love Greek. Hate English. Why would I like Greek, right? Okay. <laughs> the Greek word that he used, it has two parts. It has a prefix. The first is, is para. It's where we get our word parallel. What does parallel mean? Parallel means two things that kind of go along and line with each other, but they never touch. Parallel lines, you could go infinity this way, infinity that way. They never touch. They can be as close as you want them, but they'll never touch. That's what parallel is. Para, that's what it means. Comes alongside, never touches. Comes alongside close enough to reach out and grab it, but you never do it. The second part of the word, which is the main part of the word, is actually the Greek word for word. Same word that he used earlier when he said, prove yourselves to be doers of that word that you hear from God. So he says, prove yourselves to be, what he's painting is he says, those who come near to the word, he's painting this picture of those who, they don't ever do the word. What we do with God's word, we hear the word and we come, we come really close to it. We come right up next to it. We stay parallel to it, alongside of it. We're so close that we can study it. We can examine it. We know exactly what's going on. We could tell you all about that word, but we never touch it, never enter into it, never connect with it. We just kind of, we know about it. He says, 
be doers of the word, not just hearers, who get really close but deceive themselves into thinking that close is good enough, right? I'm close enough. I know everything about what God told me to do. I just haven't done it yet. And we deceive ourselves that somehow that's good enough. But how many times and how many times do we do that? I mean, I just think of how many times I do that. I know what God has said about my time, right? I know everything. I I could tell you the verses where he said it about redeeming the time and what a gift that time is to us. And I know God wants me to use it wisely. I know he wants to invest in what he has going on and things that will be beneficial to my life and the lives of others. But you know what I do with a lot of my time? I waste it. I hear it, I'm close, I could tell you all about that word, but I don't do it, I don't live in it. I know what God has said about people. I know what God has said about my relationship with others. I know what he said about how I should treat the relationship with others. I should treat it as if that is the most, that is the most valuable treasure I could ever find on this earth. And I should be investing in those and I should be nurturing those. But you know what happens? A lot of times I, I, treat, I, I mistreat people. I treat them like they don't, they, that they're not valuable at all. Like the thing that I'm working on, this project is so important, is so much more important than these people. They can just, you know, I can leave them alongside the road, you know, dying or dead if that's what it takes to get this thing done that's so important to me. I hear the word. I come alongside the word. I can tell you what God said about the word. I just don't do it. And James says, if you're here, you're not a doer. You're deceiving yourself. And you know what he says? He says, that's worthless. To hear the word but not do the word, even if you know all about the word, is no better than if you never heard it at all. If you heard God's instructions but you don't do them. You know, in this section, this passage of these verses that we're looking at is part of a larger passage. It goes all the way through uh, chapter two. And there are two things that James says are, are worthless. One of them is to hear and do nothing with it. The other one is sometimes we say things. We say what we believe. So having faith, saying what we believe, but doing nothing with it. He says, you can say you have faith, but you have no works. But I'll show you my faith through my works. He says, which do you think that God, which do you think is worthwhile? He says, faith without works is dead. In the same way he's saying hearing without doing anything is is worthless, is dead. What he says is, he says what it's like is when you if you were to walk by a mirror and you glance into it, and then you walk away and you completely forget what you just saw. Now, if you've put yourself together for the morning, you know, and you're walking through and there just happens to be this random mirror and you go, oh, look, there I am. And then you walk away and you forget, that's okay. But what if you did that like every morning, right? You go in, you see your hair all kind of crazy, you got the lettuce still in your teeth from last night, some salad, you know, and, and you're, just, you're just a mess. And you look at that and you go, huh, and then you walk away. And you just pretend, you know, maybe, maybe it'll take care of itself, just like that laundry pile in the corner, right? Maybe it'll just go away. What if you, you're, you're going to an important meeting, right, and you have to go through a rainstorm, and you come in, and you're just, I mean, it's just dumped on you, and you're just a mess. And you go in, you look in the bathroom, and you go, huh, I'm a mess, and you walk away. He says, that's worthless. It doesn't do anything. He says, it's not going to go away. James is saying, you know what? It would have been just as good if you would have never looked and never known what you looked like. He says in the same way, it'd be just as good if you had never known what God said. As if you hear it, you come close to it, 
but you don't ever do anything with it. You know, in that part where it talks about faith and works, and it says faith without works is dead, to say that you believe something but not have it change anything about how you live or what you do in your life, he says that's, that's it, it might as well, you know, it's dead. It's like a body without a spirit. But then he digs in really deep. He says, you know what? The demons believe too. The demons have heard God's word. In fact, when Jesus is, is confronted by Satan in the desert and tempted, who's doing all the quoting of scripture initially? Satan is. He knows it. He knows God's word. And he says, they, they believe. They know God's real. And it says, and they tremble. Why? Why are they, why are they trembling? Because they're, they're, they're fearful. They know what God says. And they know they have no intention of doing what he says. If you want to talk about coming parallel to the word, they know it, but they have no intention of doing it. They never plan. They intentionally will never touch that word. And they know the consequences. They know the consequences of what happens when you choose not to touch God's word, when you choose not to remain in God's word, where you choose to stay close to it but not touching it. They know what that means. They know that God's word was his best for them and for us. He knows that, that those who keep themselves separate from God's word are keeping themselves separate from God. So they tremble. But James says, make no mistake, they believe. Make no mistake, they've heard. He says it's worthless. Belief without action is no better than belief. Hearing without doing is no better than not hearing at all. But then James, actually, in that, that, that picture he gave us about the guy looking into the mirror, he actually digs, he digs deeper. You know, <clears throat> some people think, you know, it's great because if you know Hebrew and you know Greek, that you can understand it better. Sometimes that's the pain because you find out that what you thought was just kind of a light rebuke by James is really like a two by four that he just goes <laughs> right up against your head. And you're going, oh, wow. Okay, that's what he said. So, in this passage, he digs in deeper. He says, you know, he doesn't just say that the person looks in the mirror, glances, sees themselves, walks away, and forgets. He doesn't use the normal word for forget. He goes in deeper. He says, no, you know what they're actually doing? They're walking away, and they're hiding from themselves what they just saw. They're intentionally taking it and shoving it in a closet somewhere and saying, I'm just not going to think about that. I'm not going to deal with it. I know exactly what I just saw. But I'm going to not just walk away with my body. I'm going to walk away with my mind. I'm going to walk away as if it doesn't even exist. The thing about that is when you look in a mirror, a mirror doesn't lie, does it? It just shows you what's there. And so to walk away from it and to hide it, the mirror doesn't lie. What it means is that you're lying to yourself. You're saying, I'm going to choose to believe something that I know is absolutely not true. And he says again, when we come to close to, there's a way that we come to, you know, we come in that parallel way to close to God's word, but we decide we're not gonna touch it. We're not gonna live in it. We take God's word, we take God's word and we look into God's word and we say, oh, that's what he says, I need to change this. I need to start treating people of more value, like more valuable. And then we walk away from it and we say, well, maybe he didn't mean that exactly what he said, right? Or maybe he doesn't mean that for my situation because my situation is different. He understands that my situation is different. So, so for example, how many times have I 
Um, have I been in a, a relationship with someone where somebody has offended me in some way? Someone has hurt me in some way. And I look in God's word and he says, you know what, you gotta let it go. You gotta let it go. Now that doesn't mean you have to be best friends with that person. That doesn't mean that you have to suddenly, you know, that, that it's all up to you to reconcile that relationship on the, in this world, but you gotta let it go. You have to forgive and let that, literally forgive means you gotta let it go. He says, you gotta forgive that person from your heart. You gotta quit seeking to take revenge. You gotta quit wishing for their evil. You gotta let it go. And I look at that and I go, well, maybe he didn't mean that. I I see that, right? But I think maybe he didn't mean that in in my case. I, I might even see that if I hang on to this thing, And if I hang on to that unforgiveness, I might even know how much trouble that's gonna cause me, how that is going to literally cause damage to my physical being because of the stress I keep bound up in myself through hanging on to that bitterness. I may know all that, but I can still look at that and I can hang on to that and I can walk away and I don't just forget about what God says. I literally take what he just showed me and I shove it away and I lie to myself saying, that's not as good as what I've decided to do for myself, right? You guys know what I'm talking about. We all do this, right? That's what he's talking about, hearing and not doing. So that's what it's like when you're hearing and not doing. So the question then is, what do we do then to actually start translating this faith into action, start actually hearing and doing? What does that take? What is... What can we do in order to start that as a practice rather than this hearing, lying to ourselves, not doing anything at all? Because again, what is God's word meant for? For our good, right? For our best. And so when we, when we hear but we don't do, we are, we are denying ourselves the lives that God intended for us. Lives where God said, even in these verses, that he would bless us. James tells us that it's only through taking the time to look closely at his word, look intently. In in the the passage that was about looking in the mirror, he uses this word that just means kind of glance at. Look at the, the, the image, but don't really take anything in. Just kind of leave it there. Treat it almost like, oh, that's a nice painting. Walk away. It has nothing to do with reality. We deny and we delude ourselves, deceive ourselves. This one, he says, instead, let one who looks, instead one should look at the law intently, this perfect law, this, this law of liberty. And that, that word he uses for looking intently is more like you're, you're stooping down, you're leaning into the mirror. You're, you, know how, you know how when you go, oh, is that, is that something I'm seeing? And you lean in to see if you can really see it close in that mirror. You kind of see it from a distance, you go, oh, is that salad in my teeth? Yeah, that's, oh, right? So you can do something about it. The only reason we lean in is because we want to do something about it. So he says, lean in. Lean into this perfect law, the law of liberty, so that you might see what you should do so that we might do it. So he says, the one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, literally it means, and makes his home in it. Doesn't come close, but it says, says I'm, gonna, I'm gonna set up shop right on this line. I'm not gonna have my own line close. I'm gonna have, that's gonna be my line. That's gonna be my life. Abides in it. 
not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effective doer, that one will be blessed. Does that sound good? We'll be blessed in all they do. We will become effective and blessed when we learn how to lean into God's word, when we treat it as more than just a nuisance. You know, when I was growing up, I used to, I used to think the things my parents would tell me, right? All the things they told me to do. Clean your room, do your homework, that kind of stuff. I used to say, what a pain. Man, what a nuisance, right? Clean your room before you go out. And I'm like, well, what if, what if I like my room? I like my room how it is. I know where everything is. It's all over the floor. You know, easy to see. I know which pile it's in. Why, why should I learn how to do my own laundry? When am I ever going to need that? Moms always say, all right, she can do it. You know, it was only later that I, I realized that my parents were giving me things to do. They were giving me this list. I used to say, and here's your list from us, right? That's where we learned how to make lists. It was our parents gave us the first list. And we start. Ugh. But in giving us those lists, what I found was my parents were preparing me for what? For life, for a better life. If they hadn't taught me how to do the things and trained me into doing the things that I needed to know later, I wouldn't have had those. Life would have been miserable. Can you imagine trying to deal with that pile of laundry if you don't even know? Okay, I mean, that, that, that's when you do have to end up burning your clothes, right? Because you completely destroy them by, well, let's try some bleach, right? Gone, or you, you, all your clothes are pink now. You guys, are, right? We've all seen that. Because we, what if they hadn't trained me, but they trained me with my best interest in mind. They trained me how to prioritize, how to, how to recognize what kind of things I should be responsible for, what kind of things I needed to know how to do. God says that his word is there for the same thing. God's word is there for the same thing, to teach us the things that we need to know how to do in order to enter into a life that is far better than the one that, that we will live if we do not have those things as a part of who we are, how we respond, of what we do. But I didn't find out that my parents' words were more than a nuisance and still I, until I started doing what? Hearing and doing. Then I learned by experience how important those things were. And I could take them with me. God's word is the same. God's word is not meant to be a nuisance. It's meant to be a blessing. And he says, the one who abides in that word, they'll be blessed in all that they do. Not just because God has to sprinkle his magic dust over us and bless us. It's because in the doing is the blessing sometimes. One of the things that I found most interesting in this passage was in that last verse. He says, he says the one who listened intently, because we go, okay, so what are the things? What, what is that list of things? What is that list that God gives us? What are his instructions? And we've seen some of them. But James goes on and he gives us more specifics. He says, the one who looks intently into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, makes their home in it, that one will be blessed. And you go, so what is this law, this law of liberty? I wanna give you guys some, some perspective, kind of context for what James, you know, we have an Old Testament, this Genesis through Malachi, right? Written hundreds of years before Jesus came. We have the New Testament, that is Matthew through Revelation. And, and those, those letters and books, those were written after the life of Jesus, within about 100 years of Jesus' life, okay? So we have these two segments. When James wrote, James is probably the first letter written 
of this set called the New Testament, okay? So it's the first letter written. He's writing this out. It becomes part of this set called the New Testament. But at the time, what do they have to go on? What is their scripture? What is their Bible at that time? It's not the Old and New Testament. They don't have any of that. They don't have Jesus. You know, they can't turn to Matthew 5 and find out what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. They can't find that. It's not written down yet. Now, it might be floating out there. People might be telling stories about, do you remember when Jesus taught about, they might be telling those things, but it's not down yet, and it's not together yet. All they have is the, the letter of James and what? The Old Testament. The other thing about these people that James is writing to is largely they were those who came out of the Jewish faith and they were following Jesus. And they didn't see following Jesus as a contradiction to their, their faith. In fact, Jesus had been a Jewish man, and he had raised up in the Jewish system. He had been a follower of Yahweh. He had worshiped in the way that the Old Testament had prescribed. He, was, he, was, he said, I didn't come to destroy the law. I came to fulfill it. And so they didn't see it as something that God, Jesus was destroying the law. He said he's writing to this group of people that they were probably worshiping at the temple. They were probably following the Jewish laws of like dietary stuff. And they were doing all that. And so when James says, James says, look into this law. What law is he talking about? Well, the law they always knew. It's the law of Moses. 613 commands that God had given in the books, you know, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. 613 of them. And they had their list, and they're going, oh, 613. Right? Go through your day. 613 laws. And that law had become a bondage to them. But did you hear what James called it? He called it a law of liberty. So it's pure into the law of liberty. When had that switch taken place in their minds? There were two things that Jesus taught them. It was through Christ that they found out that this law, this list of things, these instructions that God gave them were not a nuisance. They were not a law of bondage. Instead, it was a list of things for their freedom. They could call it the law of liberty. And what, what had helped them see that? One, Jesus had taken these laws, he boiled it down to two laws. He said, this is where they all come from. The first is this, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength. He said, the second one comes from it. The second one is like unto it. The second one is like a, a double set. You get two for the price of one. Because the second one is just like it, love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus taught them that if you fail on the second one, God's really not concerned about all the stuff that you're doing on the first one. To show him how much you love him when you're not loving other people, he says, that doesn't even make sense to me says you're, you're promoting injustice and unfairness and then you're coming and worshiping in the temple? He says, that doesn't make sense to me. And that had freed him up because he says, if you keep these two that are really one, you know, kind of in a two set, two sides of the same coin, he says, if you keep these two, you're keeping the rest. If you're loving God and loving people, you're not gonna murder them. If you're loving God and loving people, you're not gonna, you're not gonna cheat them out of stuff at the marketplace, Right? So Jesus had boiled it down and they started seeing he's really calling us into a freedom. He doesn't want us to just carry around this list of stuff and check it off. He wants us to learn two things really well, get into the details of what those two things are, love God and love other people. The other thing that gave him a lot of freedom in this was that when Jesus taught about him, he said, you know what? You're not doing these things in order to earn God's affection or his attention. You already have that. You already have that. He loves you, he pursues you, he wants his best for you, he targets you for blessing. His, what James said at the beginning, he is only working good for you. You already have that. 
And you're not doing these things to earn his salvation because you don't earn that. That's offered as a gift. So he said, this law is not to bring you into bondage. This law is to lead you into the life that God offers you freely. It's just to teach you, train you how to live that life out. So look into not the law of bondage, but look deeply into the law of liberty, of freedom. And learn how to live that life that God has called you to and that he has wired this world for and wired you for. He says, if you look into that law of freedom, you look deeply, you stoop down, you lean in to see what it's saying and you, you pull out of it the things that he's saying. So this is what you need to do in order to walk in this way, in this light, loving God, loving others, with all that I do. He says, if we'll do that and then we'll do it. He says, we'll be blessed in everything that we do. We'll find that God's in it. It's like I was all wired up it's a wired up, this world is like wired up for that life. It just doesn't see a lot of people living it. So, wouldn't it be nice to have God's blessing in our lives? Wouldn't it? So how do we find God's blessing for our marriage? How do we find it? Dig into God's word. Lean into it. Find out all the instructions, what he said about marriage. Find out all those things. And what I'm gonna... I'm guessing that what you're gonna find is that in that, he's giving you instructions. He says, it's gonna be about loving him and about showing that love through the way that you love your spouse. That's what it's gonna boil down to. And there's gonna be a lot of details about how we do that well. And then do it. You'll be blessed in your marriage. How are we gonna be blessed in our business? Dig into God's word. Find out all the instructions he gave us about doing business well. And I can almost guarantee you in fact, I can guarantee you it's going to have something to do with loving God well through the way you do your business and through the way that you use that business for the sake of others and to bless their lives, to love them well. How do we find God's best for our friendships? How do we find God's blessing for our children? How do we find God's blessing for just our lives? We dig into God's word. We lean in close. We find out what it has to do with us. And then we do it. We hear than we do, right? How do we do that practically? Three things. If you want homework, here it is. We need to spend more time in God's word, right? We need to quit acting like it's a mirror that we just glance on, glance at on the way out the door and then we just forget about it as we go through our day. I'd encourage you guys in this study in, in James, take out, write out the book of James on these three by five cards and then carry them with you. I don't care if it's James. Write out Romans. I don't care. Psalms. Whatever it is, but take them with you. So it's not just a mirror that you glance at in the morning for 15 minutes and then you don't have any contact with it the rest of the day. Lean in so you can see clearly what God's saying so you can have those conversations and wrestlings with the spirit. Lean in. Then dig out, dig around and find out what it has to do with you. Lean in so you see those applications. You see the lettuce in your teeth. You see your hair going all crazy and you figure out, okay, that means I probably gotta do this. And the last part's easy. Just do it. Do it. Do what you hear. What James says, hear and do. You guys, I've, I've said this before, but I, I'm betting that if you close your eyes, God will bring to mind some area, something where he's been working with you on, where you need to lean into his word more, where you need to find out what he's up to, where you need to find out that application and do it.
It doesn't take much. God says, if we don't know what it is, if we need wisdom about that, just ask. He'll give it to us. If we'll ask, he'll show us. But ask in faith, right? Ask with the intention of hearing and doing. Because then he says, yeah, I'll show you. I'll show you what, what, what is being transformed in your life and how my word can set you free. If you'll do more, if you'll set up shop, if you'll make your home in it, not just come close to it. Amen? Here and do.